Count me in, Stop. <laughs> Count me. I, I used to have a dance. I was famous on the lacrosse team for my put me in coach dance. <laughs> I like that you had to have a dance. I had to dance for a lot of things. Do you remember Colby Calais? Oh. And how big a deal she was? For yeah. me, it was freshman year of college. What okay. was it for you? Like yesterday. I don't know. Okay. The song Bubbly, which yeah. makes me want to die. I hate it so much, but wow. I, I but you loved, loved it, it as a freshman of co- freshman college. The first line is, can you count me in? Oh, yeah. And then the Bubbly song starts and you're obsessed with it. This is my favorite piece of information about Colby Calais. Bethany calls him Colby Blase. <laughs> I love that. that is fantastic. It's so perfect because she's Blase. so boring. <laughs> she is so boring. It's funny. She you didn't go that. anywhere. That song no. was huge. And then she did. She sang with Jason Mraz, Mr. A to Z. I, he makes me want to. Can't stand it. Can't. I just picture him wearing a fedora. Yeah, always a fedora. It's funny because today on our way to hockey, we were listening to Jack Johnson, who I also find hate, amazingly hate, blase. Hate him. But I'm sorry. I, I did like... Let's I, pause. This is a psychological podcast. I don't hate Jack Johnson, but I do hate know Jack Johnson. Yeah. Sorry. I loved him back then. I was really I into did. him. And I loved the song. He also had a song called Bubbly Toes, I think. Oh, gosh, but he so does have a really cute me. song called Banana Pancakes. I, and no, it's not cute. Make I, a banana pancakes. Everyone's in the kitchen. <laughs> Those are not the words. I was enjoying it today and I was remembering how dumb it is. But also I was like, oh, this is... If this was his one-off song, great. But like all of his songs... They all sound like that. I also I think him. he's like a surfer in Hawaii. So his life is probably co- really cool. I think he's exactly that, but, and he has a bunch of kids and whatever, but we saw him in concert and was it so, did you fall asleep? Well, here's the thing. We saw him at the gorge in Washington, I think is where the gorge is mm. similar to red rocks. In the oh, sense I've heard of like this, this big, beautiful, natural, like amphitheater and it's supposed to be this amazing thing. My boyfriend at the time, like surprised me with these tickets. We were like, and I was bored out of my damn mind. <laughs> I was like, Oh <laughs> like, my gosh. Surprise. Like, I'm falling asleep. Yeah. I was like, don't care. So was, is that the most boring concert you've ever been to? No. I'm sure there's been more. Mm. I'm bored easily at concerts. I'm also entertained easily at concerts. Well, I want to mention this. I think I said this. Maybe I said this in the Harry episode. I'm over concerts. Yeah. I loved Leon. I loved it so much. And I loved the Queen concert we went to. I went to Phoebe Bridger's just, I, I wanted to go with a friend. Mm-hmm. She was on Beth's uh, Google, Google, whatever. Beth was listening to her the other day and I was like, who's this? And she's like, Phoebe Bridges. You went to Phoebe Bridges or Bridgers? Bridgers? She's like, you I went to her know. concert. I was like, I couldn't know nothing about her i've never heard one of her songs you don't you're not missing much you know i didn't get most, i didn't get boring. taco bell last night like i told you that i would and maybe i'll get it on my way home you should because i have a real hankering, hankering for it we had it last night and it was fine and i felt terrible after i ate it oh as, 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 as should i be fun. deterred well just uh, no i think just don't eat like a chicken cheddar chalupa or whatever okay. it was good but yeah but they don't have mexican pizza still am they I right? still don't Mm-mm. what's the point I don't like the Mexican pizza. They're, ooh, they're so good. But we're not here to talk about Mexican pizza. No, why are we here? <laughs> we're here to... We're also, here to, where are we? Uh, you guys, season three is going to be the season of comfort because... Do you remember Tosh.0? Every season he had a new theme. No, everyone is talking about Tosh.0 and I don't understand what it is. Okay, but 
either way, he had a theme. We, we'll talk about it offline. But our, our theme this season will be comfort. Comfort, which means we're going to do every episode in Casey's new like TV room in her basement. It's so comfortable. We're on a sectional right now. You're more comfortable than I am. I look a little bit businessy. I look a little bit like... I was wearing a collared shirt, which adds to the business. Okay, I'm wearing a collared, extremely stretchy, like, it's like a camping shirt. Yeah, it's literally a hiking shirt is Close what it's enough. called. Oh, a hiking shirt. Okay. Mm-hmm. Well, I, this TV room is not new, but when we moved into this house, the guy had done it with like, he'd painted one whole wall black and then had painted all these like black frames on the wall, like these black rectangles to frame movie posters. And he had done it up like this movie room and it was just very uninviting and very ugly. And so this whole summer I've been working very hard on my basement. Casey, I didn't even know. Like I knew you were working in your basement. I didn't know this was what it was. Yeah. So now it's cozy. It's comfy. We're we going to have a movie here. day in here. Okay, great. Okay, We're okay. here because it's season three, episode two. Who knows what episode's going to come out when, but for all intents and purposes, we this do have is, one in the can. This is episode two. We have one in the can, unedited, in the can. Yeah, that's probably We got to open not. the can, pour the beans, pour the beans in the... Got to drain the beans. Got to drain them. the beans. <laughs> rinse them. Put, put them like a wave. <laughs> a terrible metaphor. <laughs> so stupid, but the can, the can stands. Like, that's the same. Is it in the can? I don't know. Anyway. We got, we got one in the can. Okay. Well, on a more somber note. Oof. Sorry. I don't know how to transition that There's well, no segue. but we want to be, we want to be tasteful. We're talking about Anne Heche, which RIP are, yeah. Rest in, may she, may she truly rest in peace. Interesting because Casey and I have, we have like a running list of topic of people that we would like to put in the chair, so to speak. And she was mm-hmm. on it because she had a really famous, I guess she's going to call it. She was, she said that she was on drugs, but it seemed like a bit of a psychotic break years ago. And it was the only reason I knew who she was. Hmm. And now she's going, she's known more recently for this, this car crash where she was on cocaine. Did you say fentanyl? Fentanyl, cocaine. And they don't know what, they haven't released her BAC yet. And I don't know if they will. Did you say BAC? Uh-huh. Blood alcohol, blood alcohol content. Okay. Before you heard about this car crash. Did but, not care at all. Are you going to ask me what I yep. about her? Yeah. Like, do you have any thoughts the of her only, or memories yeah, of her? So the only thing I knew of her was that she had dated Ellen DeGeneres for a while. She, they were one of the very first homosexual couples in yeah. the celebrity world. And I remember just noticing it because Ellen had come out. But Anne hadn't, and she was not traditional. And I think she had like dated like Harrison Ford, or like she had. Oh, she was kind yeah, of like I up and coming. Right. I don't. She, I don't she know. was in the Six Day Seven Nights movie, and I think that was with him. Yeah, I think she had dated like a man. Like, I, yeah, I don't quote me on who she who it was. And I always thought she was really pretty, and then it just caught my attention because she wasn't. She hadn't come out as gay, and then so they were together, mm-hmm. and so it was just like it was of note in my brain of like, mm-hmm. oh, that's happening. And then they obviously they broke up. I never really paid that much attention to her. She just always kind of seemed kind of floundering around. And I actually don't know about the story that you just mentioned. I yeah. never heard about it. So she was just in the back of my mind. But this story really stood out to me. Um, obviously, like addiction is like super close and near and dear to my heart. Yeah, I'm eager and interested. To hear yeah, how and, it. And it was just one of those stories that like really like caught my attention, and I found myself following it, even though mm. I didn't think I would be that interested in it. But it really made me sad, and it stuck out in my brain a lot. It's so sad. Like it I, is really sad. It's yeah, it's terrible, and it's just. I think this is pretty morbid, but whether it's a celebrity or even like when my mom passed or anyone, I think we mentioned this with Naomi. It just feels like such like it's like the end cap of their life. It's like now you know the complete story. Ugh. And it's oh, everything we knew about Anne, we had no idea how she was gonna end. And what an interesting story it is now that you're like, Oh my gosh, and now she died in a fiery car crash. Like that's that was the end of her life. Like, that, and that was just that was in my belief, it's like that was always written, like that's how mm. it was gonna be. You and said maybe, you said you you think that was always always how it was gonna be. Yeah. Well maybe I mean 
yeah, I don't want to say well, you know, that, yeah, but like, yeah, I get what you're saying. At the end of the day, like that was it. Like mm-hmm. now we know that, but mm-hmm. we didn't know that before. So, you know, hindsight is very fascinating to me when you, when you hear of someone's death and it just makes it to me, makes it all the more tragic. Tra- tragic is the word. It's like, uh, yes, we're all going to die, but sometimes death. Yeah. It just feels wrong. And it feels sad to be remembered by remembered for how you died. And maybe a lot of people especially will, if it's a controversial, especially way. if it's controversial. And I guess pretty much everyone's death is going to be memorable when it's recent and when it's untimely, maybe at some point the, and I'm, I would imagine the people who love her will grieve this part and then remember her for who she's supposed to be. But it's weird that her legacy is, is a little too charged of a word, but like her memory, I think the, the mark that she will make on like history for all intents and purposes mm. is tragedy and a, and someone who yeah. someone who is remembered as not being totally well mm-hmm. you're totally right and and interestingly I think to your point I would not have thought of her as someone I didn't even understand or pay attention to her mental health but now that's that's the story when I think of her now like, yeah because oh. before and it's all we just, have yeah and we want to do it tastefully mm-hmm. my okay so I'm can I offer my Please. my thoughts of her I've never known her in a single show or movie. I think when you like read her obituary, it's like Anne Heche, most most famously known from like Six Days, Seven Nights. Like that wasn't a humongous movie. I think maybe it was like during its time, like kind of big, but it's not. I don't know. Maybe no. it, maybe it was on PBS a few times. <laughs> but I I remember her from the incident with Ellen, and I was raised by E Television. I loved E True e. Hollywood Story. E True. Oh my gosh, my sister and I. That was how we spent our TV time. We were watching each Hollywood story. So I would watch E! News. I'm just, mm-hmm. I'm always surprised by like their cadence, like the way that they speak is well, just they're, so predictable. It's exactly. And that drives me freaking nuts. Cause I'm like, have a little bit of intonation or like, no, yeah. They, like they say it in a very specific way. And it's interesting because one of the, the fathers of some of our kids, friends, he, he was a news anchor, I guess. He just retired. He's a sports news anchor. And it would be so interesting to be watching the Bronco game and have him come on and be like, wait, what? what like, you, that's not how you talk. Talk normal. But I mean, it was like still him, but like not. And it was just very fascinating to see like those two personalities. That is interesting. Yeah. It's very fascinating. Can you picture me with like a, like a blazer on no, being like, you, I could see you on like, um, you know what ESPN. I'd be? I'd be a beat reporter. Oh, don't say that. Because you know my dream you would not be a beat reporter. My dream of all dreams ESPN is to commentate, is to do color yes, commentary that's, that's for a basketball game. Just me and Beth, and we're just like, oh, dribbling too much. Well, oh, oh yeah, running backwards again. LeBron I, James running backwards. I don't think anyone's going to listen to that. But oh, I think millions of people. I think would a lot tune of in. maybe a lot of women would. Yeah, and who's better? Be like, than oh, women? it's dribbling backwards. What's his <laughs> name? Not dribbling backwards. LeBron. Le- Le- LeBron. <laughs> Jemis. I'm sorry. Is this me commentating? Have I forgotten no, who LeBron is, James is? No, this is the women that are watching you. Mm, like, be, like what? You know who it is? It's women. It's women who are dating people who are really into sports that aren't into sports yeah, themselves, they're just, and they're, they're like, like, "How right. do I bone up on this?" And that's with me. With, with me. With Emily Bukema. Yeah. Bethany. Yeah. Exactly. I love it. Okay. So, so hey, if you're out there, ESPN producers, I'm telling <laughs> you, I think I I think I would be a cash cow. If if one of you our don't have 16, to pay me a lot. If one of our 16 listeners is also, you know, moonlighting. Like help us. Just help us. <laughs> we need all the help we can get in life. Uh, where was I going with that? And, and Oh, Hush. okay. So I loved E! News. Oh, gosh. Here we are. <laughs> season three on a rabbit trail again. I loved E! News. And I remember when they would talk about that, that instance where she, you know, had her very, like, infamous going out in the middle of the desert thing. 
it was always like she did this thing like it was it was (laughs) an eye roll it was an eye roll it was cast in a negative if not like condemning light Mm. of of who she was as a person and then she never i I don't know that she totally did recover she did she did win an emmy it said she was an emmy winner and i don't know that she won one previous to that or after it previous to it or after it so she win an emmy for that exact like for her drug-induced episode that's when she you know what Anne? that was a really great psychotic break We'd like to reward you with you a daytime Emmy. Oh my gosh. <laughs> so, so she either got it before or after, but she, but you don't know when. I feel stupid. Forget me, it. Here's, here are some of the, um, like the clinical notes on Anne Heche is she, in her memoir, which was called Call Me Crazy. Um, that seems very noteworthy and relevant. She uh, claimed that her dad sexually abused her like mm-hmm. in, in some pretty graphic ways. And she later reported to Barbara Walters that she didn't necessarily have like, what did she say? That she doesn't, she doesn't have a memory of it. Or she says all she it, has it exists are, only in her memory. It, it exists only in her memory. And she basically says to Barbara Walters, you can't ever really know because you're a child. But she's like, but she really believed it. She mm-hmm. She truly, truly believed that she was really like sexually abused in a pretty traumatic way which and there can i just insert like way. sorry i didn't mean no i just didn't want to be like there's some non-traumatic forms of sexual abuse that that i think that was obviously don't want to imply that well and i think that i, th- I think that there's some merit to just giving some space to that that's that statement that as a kid when something happens to you if you don't have i think you'd read the quote like she didn't have a tape recorder she didn't mm-hmm. have you know, picture, she didn't have, like, there's nothing that's like commemorating or like actually recording what happens. And so as a kid, if something traumatic does happen to you, you are forced to be in this world of, of making a choice is my internal world where this feels traumatic and terrible. That did that really happen? Or is what everyone else on the outside world, the people that I trust and the people that I care and the people that are taking care of me say did not happen. Right. Cause mm, isn't good point. it important to remember that her mom and her sister her, denied that. her mom and sister? Yeah. Like what's the word we want to use? How did they deny it? Vehemently. Mm, you're so close. V- Viet- you're, you're putting Vietnam in there. Vietnamomly. <laughs> vehemently. Vehemently. She, vehemently. she, they vehemently denied it. And at the end of her life, it's, I, I think she was estranged from them. Mm. And I don't know whose decision that was or if it was mutual, but yeah, she, she claimed that she even got like STDs from her dad who then died when he was 45. Mm. And How I think, she, I think it said she was 13. Maybe mm. her brother died three months later Oh, and her brother died on while he was driving to his high school graduation. She claimed that she believed it was suicide. Hmm. Um, that was, there was really nothing to corroborate that. And her mom and sister, I believe also, she, she was the youngest of five. So there's other siblings. So another sister, I she don't was the youngest of five, youngest of five, which so am I, um, her, her mom, no, I'm sorry. Her sister died of brain cancer. Hmm. Um, I didn't read when that happened. I'm sorry if her research is a little shoddy. I think we're not, I don't t- think we're, but I also don't think that we're trying to like, we're not trying like, to give like a full clinical history. I think we're trying to more use the memory of Anne Heche to maybe shed some light on like how we can offer empathy to people who are struggling in ways that people like her are struggling. Yeah. And I think that we're just trying to offer some context. <laughs> Thank you for saying that more succinctly than I did. <laughs> no, but I think it's important to know the context. Yeah. But yeah like I, I don't think we're all concerned. We're not about- trying to give every single detail. Yeah. Yeah. So her sister, her sister died of brain cancer, but I, what I read was, I think her memoir 
her memoir suggests that her brother's death was more difficult for her. Mm. Then, and this is the incident. I would imagine most people actually have no idea what incident we're talking about since you didn't know. And I know, I know like our younger listeners. Hello, my babies who are at college. Girls, if you're listening, I'm so proud of you. They all, I just, I'm so proud. They're in oh, college. Like they're, they they're off it, to do yeah. amazing things. And my niece is going to graduate high school this year. And I'm so oh. proud of her. And my other niece who she listens, she's like a junior. Mm. And I just, I just, it's so sweet. The passage so of time fun. is like really painful, but also so special to like watch people turning it into is, who they're and then supposed they, like, to be. Go and do. All right. So the context of the you're so the, yeah the, the context. Ellen DeGeneres was I think the first like massive celebrity to come out publicly as gay, and she was super blacklisted for it. And then mm-hmm. Anne Heche came out as bi, and they dated really publicly because there couldn't be any other choice because mm-hmm. of how much we were mm-hmm. going to scrutinize and look at them for three years. That's oh, a really long time. I thought it was longer. It said three years. Yeah. I you know what it was a long time. We already prefaced um, our research. And they were <laughs> and they were they seemed really happy together. Like they were and. I mean, a what would you call it? Like a shoot. You know what? I've really struggled with my words lately. And yesterday it was back. And today it's gone again. Yesterday I had, I could pull out all the words I needed to use. Oh, I thought you meant you struggled with the word back. And I was like, <laughs> oh, wow. That's a really basic one. And I was like, no wonder Wordle's been oh tough. Oh my gosh, Wordle has been so tough. I think right. they were like, they were a pillar. They were, mm. they were on a pedestal for the, the LGBTQ community, IA plus community. And they broke up, which happens which happens and hours after the breakup and Heche I'm so sorry what year was this preceding or for following the the Emmy that she did or did not win um I believe it was before it was before the Emmy she I'm 2000 in in the year 2000 she and Ellen break up after three years of dating and hours later she drives out to like the middle of the desert I think abandons her SUV and walks until she finds this random lady's house because she's in the desert and she tells this woman that she's God and that she's going to take everybody. And this, according to this woman, she said she's going to take, well, I think Anne Heche confirms it. She said she was going to take everybody back to heaven in like a spaceship or something. Mm. And then Anne Heche asks if he can take a shower. Lady calls the cops. And did the lady let her take a shower? I think so. From what I read, that's what it seemed like happened. Mm. That was the story. That was what was on E! News and in all of these like different new, different like outlets who talk about celebrity gossip. Mm-hmm. She was not that famous. I think she was most famous for being Ellen DeGeneres' girlfriend. Mm-hmm. And Ellen DeGeneres was famous for being gay at that point. She was not like on TV shows. She wasn't, she wasn't given a lot of spots. And within hours, you're in the middle of nowhere telling women you're God. She, she later admitted that it was ecstasy. Hmm. That she was like on some kind of bender. And that does provide context. It's, I think a lot of people in Hollywood use ecstasy. So it's mm. not as if, oh, you're on ecstasy. You're going to do like really, really out there things. I think a lot of people do. But I think the human part of it to me is, can you imagine going through breaking up? I, have you broken up with someone after three years? I have not. I've never dated someone that long. No. Mm-mm. Such a public relationship as out there and totally outside the lines as that behavior seems, it still feels like it was fueled by heartbreak. Oh, I don't know. You don't think that? No, I mean, I'm not I'm not denying that there's heartbreak in that, but it seems to me like there's some heartbreak going on. There's some drug use going on. And then you had said earlier something about maybe it was like a psychotic break, mm-hmm. right? So, I, I mean, I think, I think that the heartbreak probably fueled maybe, but she... The she timing was, feels relevant. That's all. I, I Yeah. Oh, I'm sure the timing is relevant. I think there's also just a lot. What my brain is making up that she probably did drugs on a regular basis, hmm. you know, recreationally or whatever. I'm not sure. making a judgment on that. Sure. But like, I'm sure she dabbled in drugs, had a familiarity with them. Then she goes through this heartbreak. So she's already got the strain of the emotion. She's got whatever's going on with that, the publicity, the heartache, the, all of those things hours later. And then that just makes her 
drug experience in that moment extra terrible. Do you know what I mean? Like, yeah. haven't we all had that? Like, there's definitely times where if you're drinking or you're partaking in whatever your recreational drug of choice is, and if you've had an, a really emotional experience prior to it, it makes that high or that buzz or that experience on your drugs just so much more. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Is I that think, what you're saying? Yep. Okay. You, I think you made the point perfectly is that all of those things were probably already in place, but it's like her internal ecosystem was so fragile. It was like ripe. It was ripe. It was ripe, ripe for a break. Ripe for the, the spaceship to ripe. land. <laughs> oh, gosh. And, you know, she made light of it later in her life. But to your point, I think what you said is, she, she, and maybe I'm jumping ahead, but you said that that incident blacklisted her for 10 years. That's a perfect segue. She said that. Here's a question. How do you think we would handle something like that today in this world where we are exceptionally sensitive to mental health? And oh, to- you think we're exceptionally sensitive to mental health? Yeah. Oh, I do not. Well, you think about Kanye, where it's like the stuff Kanye's done and said, and he's a black man, and she's a white woman. I just think there's a lot more grace toward mental health. Do you still feel like there's not? Uh, no. Really? Uh, well, I think if it came out that she was on drugs, I don't think, I think the mental health piece would go whoop, I feel like out there's the a mental health obsession. Well, I'm saying like if that story happened now and they're like, oh, famous actress so-and-so did this weird thing and thought that there was a spaceship and she was God and oh, she was on ecstasy. I think people would completely forget the mental health piece. And actually, I think that feels like a kind of a point that I was going to talk about Mm. later is the article that I read and I thought uh, an opinion piece that that was very fascinating Mm. about Anne's death in the sense that... Oh, yeah. I'm I'm eager to hear you talk about this. Well, I think that a lot of people separate addiction from mental health so quickly Mm -hmm. and they like, I think we know they're kind of under the same umbrella, but to kind of back up and give the context where I'm coming from, this opinion piece was something about how people are having these really bad backlashes about giving compassion and grace to Anne for how she died. Because obviously she was under the influence of, it seems like multiple drugs. And the argument is, well, she made this choice. And so this woman that wrote this opinion piece said, yeah, Mm -hmm. but I want to argue for the fact addiction is not always a choice. Mm -hmm. Like, yes, did she make the choice to get into the car? But here's what you don't understand about addiction is the compulsion and what it drives you to do. And as a person that that identifies as struggling with her own addiction, like I can relate to that full heartedly when Mm -hmm. all parts of my body say, don't do this. And there's this compulsive piece that does it anyway, knowing you're going to completely make bad choices. And I'm not saying that to excuse Anne, but I think. No, but context. So I think what happens is like people can so easily separate addiction from mental health. And we have this really nice compassion. And and we talked about this a little bit on the Naomi episode, the difference between mental health and mental illness. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. Right. And so it's like, oh, we have this, we have this big push for everyone to be mentally health healthful and we want everyone to take care of their mental health. And we're, I agree that we're moving in that direction, but I think there's a huge gap between mental illness and compassion and understanding and addiction is a part of that. And so if that means that you're taking drugs and going and thinking that you're God, I also wonder, like you had said, maybe is there a psychotic break? Is there something else going on there? Like, where does the trauma that we've spent, we just spent all of that time talking Mm -hmm. about, like, where do those trauma responses come in when you think about this interrelationship between, uh, like, substance abuse, mental health illness? Wasn't, like, the comorbidity between addiction and mental and, like, pretty significant disorders is, like, really, really high. Super high. Yeah. Also, I hate that word, comorbid. Comorbidity. I hate it. It sounds terrible. It seems like both things are going to make you die. Yeah. It just sounds like, oh, you're in a... You're Can just... you explain the word comorbidity? No. Oh, are you? <laughs> I was like, okay. No. Like why they chose that? Like, I don't know. Like they, I like to think about like, just like coexisting. No. Yeah. No. No, I don't think that's a good choice. Of Look it up yourself, jerks. 
Casey out. No. Oh, Mike wait. Dropped. Pause on comorbidity. Casey out. Casey in this in this room in which we are very comfortable. Are you comfortable right now? Yeah. Are you? Yeah. I feel. I feel really. I, I don't want to say this insensitively. I have to cut out. I feel really good. Casey in Casey's new room. There's a disco. Light, or there's a there's a strobe light there's like a flashy strobe there's light like an epileptic seizure yeah there's light. an epileptic seizure. oh my gosh can't bring clay in here can't bring, no, can't no. bring clay in oh, here oh you guys oh my dog has epilepsy pretty much everybody knows now because i can't not talk about it he's okay he's i think okay, he's gonna he live a long happy healthy life that's, yeah that's tough though i know he's so sweet so he can't come into our um, he can't come room. into our party um casey casey she's all watch this and she just go and i know exactly as soon as she has what i'm like she's gonna turn on a stupid disco ball she it's not stupid i just this it's not even a disco she, ball it's, it's not like, a disco ball it's it's i it's don't a strobe even know light. what it is it's, it's a strobe light so she goes and she turns off she turns off the light and then she turns on the disco ball and the best it's not a disco ball. and it, the funniest part is it moves and it's just like it's not that nice of a noise and she starts dancing to just that <laughs> such a good dance for like a minute <laughs> and i'm not dancing i'm just watching her laughing it was so great it's one of those moments where like someone's laughing and it makes you do it and more, it makes you do it and more then, <laughs> and you, you can't stop it. laughing you're just you're just really enjoying it, it was, oh it was my gosh such a it good was hilarious party. it was hilarious so anyway comorbidity go oh so you just want me to define what that means Explain all that. it means is just two or, or more you know disorders or experiences existing at the same time so like alcohol is a depressant so there's a huge comorbidity with a major depressive disorder and alcoholism and it kind of begs that question of chicken or the egg so are you mm-hmm. majorly depressed and so then you turn to alcohol because it feels like it relieves that or are you majorly majorly alcoholic are you just an alcoholic and you start drinking and then that increases mm-hmm. your depression so as a treatment plan it's very difficult to kind of like pull those apart and decide like where you want to start do you have any thoughts on why substance abuse and addiction feels maybe more of an outlier in terms of our ability to accept it as a society oh man this is a big one yeah I I do I think let me see if I could just boil it down really quick I have lots and lots of thoughts on it but to kind of make it super basic just for this episode I think what it comes down to in short is that it hurts people hmm it hurts other people and such a good point and it feels as if and I think it comes down to that word control The idea is like, if you could just control this, just have Mm. one. And someone that doesn't struggle with addiction can just have one. They have that stop mechanism where their body will say, I'm, I've had enough. Like two is good. Or I have to drive. I should stop. Or I shouldn't drink in front of my kids. Or I shouldn't drink and drive. And I would argue that someone that has an addictive brain has those thoughts, but also has the compulsive behaviors and the, I'm sorry, the compulsive thoughts and then the behaviors that follow. And so they'll say, no, I shouldn't drink and drive. And then they do it. Mm-hmm. No, I, sh- I shouldn't drink in front of my kids. It'll just be just one more, right? So mm-hmm. there's like this, there's this constant continuing of it. And I think on the outside, people see that and get angry. And rightfully so, right? Because I'm not saying sure. addicts are making good choices. Um, and I'm making some really broad brushstrokes, but an active addict who's present in their addiction and, and using substance in a really dangerous way. I, I think that's why it gets such a bad rap. Hmm. That's Okay. I mean, that makes perfect sense to me because I, I think about like other like things that are similar in addiction, right? Like I think of gambling, eating disorders, workaholism, those types of things like people dislike those. But in, even in some parts of our culture, those are actually applauded super like, acceptable, super hard. So like putting the candles at both ends that gets applauded in some ways, but it's just as much of an addiction and an addiction really comes down to what's fascinating. I've been doing a lot of research on it lately is it really all comes down to like a dopamine fix and it comes Mm. down to the pleasure centers and there's in your brain and there's so much going on neurochemically that it's so easy to sweep it under the rug and say, just stop doing it. 
If you really cared about your family, you would stop drinking. If you really cared about your job, you would stop going drunk. If you really cared. So then people, I think, boil it down to like a value and moral choice when truly what it is is your body is addicted to a substance that is giving it more neurochemicals, neurotransmitters that are making it feel good and are truly alcohol feeds addiction to itself. It Mm -hmm. needs more of itself to keep things going. Mm -hmm. And so I think that part gets discounted. There's so much science behind it that people discard. Hmm. Anyway, I totally took us off topic. No, I need another dance. Do you need another disco dance? Yeah, I always need another dance. I always need another dance. Just one more. Just one more. Just one more. You're addicted to my dance. (laughs) Did that hit your dopamine pleasure center? It hit yours. It sure did. (laughs) Casey felt so good. I didn't have a drink tonight, but I did get in a good dance. She did get in a dance fix. I'm going to think about that when I go to bed tonight. I hope so. I had a funny dream last night. You know what my dopamine fix was? Last night, I got home. Not Taco Bell. No. I got home and around like eight, I was like, I am tired. Like I was like, and I never, I just never, never truly never feel that way. And I'm like, well, I'm not going to go to bed. So we play a game and then I'm like really tired. And then it's like nine 15 and I'm like, I think I'm going to get ready for bed. So I get in bed around maybe nine 30 or nine 45. I don't know how long it took me to fall asleep. I always play the office. Um, yes, you do. Always. I fell asleep. I woke up and it was seven. So I had fallen asleep. Yeah. For at nine 30 did not wake up apparently the dog clay he must have tried to wake me up didn't went into bethany's room woke her up by licking her and she had to let him out and she was like you didn't wake up and i was like what and i woke up feeling refreshed i almost never wake up feeling refreshed even if chronic insomnia horrible sleeper and when i do sleep it's almost worse because my body craves it so much when i wake up it's like no 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 we need this i woke up this morning and i was like this is what it feels like to get a good night's sleep so that so i I woke up and i cleaned the house i which i often clean the house on mornings but like i was amazing so that was my dopamine i love that for you thank you i am tired you want to know why i'm tired yeah i know why. why Our fire you, listen to this twice. I'm home alone. My husband was gone for the weekend. We should just change our show to how how Emily night. and Casey are just coping because everyone <laughs> cares. <laughs> I am not coping very well. <laughs> I am tired because at 3.30 a.m., every single fire alarm in my whole house went off at the exact Guys, same time. Guys, her house is big. There's a lot of fire alarms. There's a lot of fire alarms because you put them in every room. Every single fire alarm went off at the exact same time at 3.30 a.m. It scared. It was horrifying. It scared me. It scared every single small person in my house. And I, most importantly, the scariest part was that I was in charge. (laughs) I had to figure out how to turn all of those suckers off. No idea. And I didn't even check for a fire. Because I, I was part. I was so I just assumed no fire. I love that. Never part. in my life have all of the fire alarms gone off at one time. <laughs> I just assumed no fire. Finally turn and you know you push a button and you hope it's not snooze. You hope it's turning it off. And five minutes later, we're all settled back into bed. Everyone's calmed down, and all of it happens again. And poor Cindy has no idea what's happening. Poor and Cindy. I am so, so sad to be a dog in that so situation. So in charge. <laughs> No clue what to do. I was so scared. And then there was some chirping later and it was just just terrible. I can't believe that. I want to say also our house got struck by lightning or our backyard got struck by lightning. Guys, you've missed a lot. And this was more scary (laughs) than when our tree got struck by lightning. Mm -hmm. So Emily got great sleep. I got no sleep. She's wearing a cool hiking camp shirt and I'm wearing sweatpants. The flamingos on them or your flamingos on your on your T-shirt. So the the sad. Yeah, I guess we haven't gotten to the, the cause of her death, which I think most people probably know about. But in her toxicology report revealed that she had pretty high levels of cocaine and fentanyl in her system when she crashed her car. Also, can we talk about that for a second? You said that everyone in Hollywood does ecstasy. Like, I feel like fentanyl oh. is like everyone's doing that. What? It why? seems like How? a lot. Of, Oof. 
I don't know. I mean, I think I think back to the 27 Club and I'm like, these are people who are being catapulted into like just a totally different stratosphere of fame and of power and of influence. And they also, I think, are easily influenced because the culture is like Mm. YOLO. I know that's not a thing. Okay, I know YOLO's not a thing anymore. But like, (laughs) like, I think the idea is still very, very much. I think we just call it you do you now. Yeah. I'm going to say something that is so not cool. I am not pro you do you. I, that the one that is not a way of living that I am uh, I interested in at all. Yeah. I think to an extent. I understand. But- yeah, I, I understand the heart of it, and it's the pendulum. It's just the pendulum is always swinging in another direction. We go too far, and then we'll go too far in the other direction, and hopefully at some point we level out. But so yeah, with her cause of death, I do want to ask you. Going back to Anne Heche's history, it's clearly very fraught with mental health mm-hmm. and trauma, and similar chicken or the egg thing. Did her mental health issues come because she was genetically predisposed to it, or because she had a really traumatic upbringing but her mom and sister continually denied that she was sexually abused by her father and that for her was clearly a very formative experience as a clinician as a therapist if your client is repeatedly telling you something that you suspect okay Mm -hmm. is not truthful what do you think is the most important thing to do do you validate them by saying yep i believe you or do you try to understand why they might be lying you that's i mean and can I just say my instinct is to is, yeah, what is to believe them. I'm I just I'm not a challenger. I'm not a challenger. Well, I think and yeah, I think that there's something to that. I think the reality that we have to also consider as a clinician is what is our actual job? We have mm. moral and ethical boundaries, right? Obviously, we operate under the law and then like the way that I teach the students, we have to always consider the law, then we have to consider moral and ethics and then we consider standards of practice. And moral and ethics is is truly where it gets really wishy-washy because the law is not going to be mm. like if your client is lying, you must confront them. The mm-hmm. law doesn't care. A lot of the ethical principles are written in a very nondescript way that says within the best interest of the client, which then I think begs that question of what's your therapeutic intent. So, you know, when you say like, if your client is lying or presenting an, you a reality that you suspect is not true, I think you really have to ask yourself, what would be my therapeutic intent in confronting them? And what would be my therapeutic intent in believing them and going along with it? Also, I think you have to consider like, what are their treatment goals? Like, what are they trying to get out of this? Mm. It was someone like Anne who comes to you with a story that we said before can't be proven and people are denying ve- vehement. Vehemently. Wow, you got worse. <laughs> it's because I'm thinking too hard about it. Vietnamly. <laughs> Vietnamly there. Wow, okay. Like... First of all, if there ever was an anomaly in Vietnam, we've <laughs> got to turn that into a word. <laughs> it's a Vietnamly. <laughs> Why am I so bad at that word? I don't know, but I love Vietnamly. You got it. I got okay, it. Okay, take, See, take all the pressure off, baby. I just baby. wasn't thinking it. Mm-hmm. Okay, so... When someone comes to you with a story that they can't prove, what I think about is really kind of like the construct of reality. Reality is all based on your perceptions. And if that's what she perceived to be real and she's she's written her whole life story around that essentially, I don't understand what would be helpful about denying that for her, confronting her about that. So I think I'm with you that my gut instinct is to say, yeah, I'm going to believe you. I also think what I'm going to honestly do is hold in the back of my mind like this doesn't seem real and maybe I can kind of play detective a little bit and ask you some more questions Mm -hmm. to see what this looks like with the intent that maybe we're trying to figure out like what's going on for you mentally like is there an underlying issue that we need to address is there some type of there's some type of like dissociative identities is there some type of personality disorder that's kind of feeding into this lie would be 
a question for me. But ultimately, I think when I show up with my client, the idea would be, yeah, I'm going to believe you. I'm going to go along with this reality. You have to go along with it, but you also have to still have a critical mind as you're going through it. So, Mm -hmm. well, Anne Haitian, an interview with, I think, Barbara Walters, where she also, she admitted some other things, said that as a child, she felt so trapped in her trauma that she created an entire different world for herself where her name was Celestia. And she truly believed she was an alien from a different world. And I think that's what can happen. Like if she believed it, was she an alien from another world? No. You know what? Maybe. (laughs) Maybe Maybe somebody out there is like, yeah, she was. I'm one too. If you believe it strongly enough, that was her reality. Mm -hmm. Now, if somebody came into my office as Celestia, I I would be like, I don't know what to do and I can't take you seriously. But I think the point you're driving home is that if they believe it, they believe it. Like your job is not to make them believe the right or wrong thing. That You know what? That's exactly, that's what I'm trying to say. And you said it so well. Is like our job as clinicians is not to try to make a judgment call on what is right or wrong and, and get someone to believe that it's far more, I think to meet them where they are. That's a, that's a phrase we use a lot, right? Mm-hmm. Meet our clients where they are. So if they think they're Celestia, I want to meet you there and I want to talk to you about it. And clinically I'm going to have an, another piece of my brain. That's again, like I said, thinking about like, where is this coming from? Is Celestia in this other world that you've created? Is that a trauma response that's protecting you from what's going on in this really harsh reality that's real? And that's, what's actually allowing you yeah. to be present. Or do you have like a dissociation? of identity going on? Do you have some type of personality disorder in which you are creating this story so that you can get more attention? Like those are all clinical questions that I would be considering. Mm-hmm. But when I'm meeting with my client, I'm going to meet with them and I'm going to be real. I'm not going to challenge you and be like, that makes no sense. Eventually, if we have a deep enough relationship and we start to get to that space and you could start to pull some you can kind of start to pull some threads in that. I think that can be really powerful if you know at that point it's not real. If someone sure. comes in and says, I'm Celestia, I'm from another planet, I know for a fact that's not real. Mm-hmm. But if someone comes in and says, I'm pretty positive my dad sexually abused me, but everyone else is saying that he didn't. You like how I avoided the word there? Mm-hmm. Those to me feel like two different things. One, I feel very confident pulling apart eventually when I have enough trust and we could talk about how you're not really an alien. One of them is that could really be your story and we can't prove otherwise. So does it do, does it do my client more harm to believe them or does it do them more harm to pull them apart? I like how you said that. I, here's my really simple reductive answer, which is there's probably so many people out there who already don't believe them. Exactly right. And I know, like I, I know the, I think the caveat to that is as a therapist, you occupy a totally different place in people's Mm -hmm. life automatically. Yeah, because they are hiring you. And so, yeah, you might be the one person who when you when you are able to get to the fact that it's not actually true, it's like light bulb. Mm -hmm. You might be the first light bulb that goes off, but you can't do that at first. Absolutely. And it can't be your goal because it's not their goal. So, yeah, I guess I'm so let me go back to my reductive point, which is there's plenty of people who are that voice. There's Mm -hmm. plenty of people saying, I don't know. What? What are they saying? (laughs) (laughs) Um, so think that was their, their Vietnamese. <laughs> <laughs> that was low hanging fruit and it wasn't so even, good. You should end right there. <laughs> I love it all. Cause I love a joke that like, Oh, that like comes full circle. Joke. Oh. Do you know what I was, I was hoping it came God, and I'm wondering if it maybe wasn't quite perfect. I want to, I want to come back to this. We are not the keepers of Anne Hish's memory or of her legacy, but I think part of grief is meaning making and we're not grieving Mm. Anne Heche right now. There is a level of grief. Like her life ended tragically and that's so sad and it feels so unfair. And we're still making meaning. But yeah, and I think something we want to do is infuse some purpose and some redemption Mm. into a story that right now maybe feels like, oh, how horrible. So 
What do we do with that? I think to me, it is just, again, it is just this constant reminder to recognize how difficult it is to live life. Like live a life from start to finish is so impossible. And we are not all given the same deck of cards. I don't know. I don't want to remember her and be like, yeah, she died of a cocaine. Like I want to think that was a person who probably had to spend so much energy on being okay. No, that I like the way you said that. So when you think of her, what do you think now? Like I feel really sad. Mm. I feel, you know, I feel sad for the people who loved her, who probably watched her struggle and knew the version of her that was her, that mm. was like the whole version of her. I imagine they'll be really protective and defensive of her. And they, and should, they, they shouldn't should have be. to be. They should. Yeah, they should be. And they shouldn't have to be. And that yeah. makes me sad. Yeah, I think. Yeah. Because imagine someone imagine like the person you love, a person you love dying and the world remembers them in a really different light. And I don't oh, that's yeah. not that's not the impression I've gotten. But still, it's there. I know I know that it's there. This brings a full circle to me when I'm thinking about that opinion piece that I read, which was mm. essentially ultimately based on this woman making an argument that addiction is compulsive and you know, we make these decisions and it's not always a choice. It feels like that. I'm not here to say whether addiction is a choice or whether she made this choice or not, but I think it really does come down to that compassion piece. And it makes me think of this phrase in my mind of we are not, even if you are, even if you struggle with an addiction, even if you struggle with mental illness, like that's not who you are. You are not reduced to just that. And so if her memory is just, oh yeah, she died in a car crash with all this craziness or like, oh, she died of cocaine or, oh, like what a hot mess she was. Mm -hmm. Then we have essentially reduced her to, she was just an addict. Mm -hmm. She was just someone that did that. And we have forgotten all those other pieces. And I think to your point, like the people in her life will always remember who she was outside of that. And as again, I rely on this a little bit too much, but as someone that does identify with an addiction and in the middle of those moments of guilt and shame, it is so easy to be like, this is all I am. This is all mm. I have. This is, and if I make a bad choice and this is how I die, like that's how people will remember me and everything else, everything else I've done will be erased because, mm-hmm. oh, she was so great, but she had this addiction, mm. you know, Such and a that, joke. that makes me so, so sad. Yeah. And I think that's, I think that's why this news story like really caught my eye was because I didn't know anything nor to be totally frank with you care that much about her at all Mm -hmm. um her work was not interesting no no I never thought of her no but it made me sad to think oh like you said this is how people are now going to remember her and she's going to be reduced to oh that woman that like did this really big crazy tragic thing Mm -hmm. and I'd like to hope that we can remember that I like I like the way you said it like how did you say it she spent a lot of her time in her life trying to be okay mm-hmm. and that rings so true to me because good lord is that i mean is there anyone out there who doesn't do that because if so help well if, if you have that secret if you're not spending a lot of time trying to be okay then can you tell us mm-hmm. how to do that mm-hmm. yeah and Heish, we're doing our part to remember to remember her well and obviously we're just and thank you for enlightening us and having and starting the conversation about this seriously because I think that's really like if that's something that we can do more of I'm really grateful for that and maybe that's how her death could not be that I really like that I like to think I you know I always need to believe there's hope I feel so hopeless about so many things and meaning you really like meaning I love meaning is everything to me meaning is everything to me so yeah I really like what you just said that maybe maybe there can be something that we can learn from her and not from her death but like from her well anyway well the the plane has landed yep it's a nice gentle landing i would like to say i would one of the one of the 
Oh, are you one they of those? Lo- never in my life. They loved it in Laos, though. The Lao people loved a good landing. <laughs> the freeing loved it. It was the cutest thing. They just loved it.